and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm Ann Stickney, one of two lore focus writers for Blizzard Watch, and I've got both of my wonderful co-hosts with me today. First up, he's also a lore writer, as well as a warrior expert, and that would be Matt Rossi. Hey, Rossi, how are you doing? Hey, everybody. Mm-hmm. I'm here. That's just, yeah, I'm here. That, that's enough. Okay. <laughs> We'll leave it at that. Also with us is another lore expert aficionado as well, and that would be Joe Perez. Hey, Joe, how's it going? Well, hello. It is going okay for me. I just spent a whole lot of money on color-shifting paints from a brand called Turbo Dork because it's hilarious. Wait, color-shifting paints? like Color-shifting paints, were depending on the angle that you look at them. Okay, the so light, like a duochrome kind of thing. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. It's really neat. Yeah, I like shiny stuff like that. My toenails are currently painted with a duochrome finish. Anyway, (laughs) they're like copper and then they're gold or pink, depending on what angle you look at them from. Anyway, uh, so I'm going to be straight up about this episode, guys. It's it's. First off, it's been a hot minute. Sorry about that, you guys, with the delay. But last week was Mother's Day, and that's important. So we kind of push things off a little bit here. This week, however, we are going to be diving into events and lore and pretty much everything that's been data mined so far on the patch 8.2 PTR. This includes Mechagon stuff, this includes Nazjatar stuff, this includes Azshara stuff. Um, while we are talking about data mine material, which may or may not make it to live servers and you know, some of the dialogue has already shifted. It is spoiler material. So if you're avoiding that kind of thing, I would say right now, you should just put pause on the episode, come back when you feel like listening to it again. Maybe check out the 8.2 PTR. All this stuff is open and available on the PTR and you can play through it. Uh, Some things have not been put on the PTR yet, but they have been data mined. Regardless, This is all the stuff we're going to talk about. But before we get into that, one of the things I want to talk about is something that popped up last week, and that would be a new cinematic. Uh, It's called Safe Haven, and it shows us where Sourfang has been and what he's been up to. And it also brings back a player that we discussed in detail, if I remember right, on the last episode or a couple of episodes ago. And that would be uh, Warchief Thrall or former Warchief Thrall. You guys both saw this, right? Mm-hmm. What did you think? I mean, it's a good cinematic. I don't really know how you, they they make amazing cinematics. So I I liked seeing. I think I've made this comment a few times. But I loved seeing how incredibly beefed up Thrall is from his like you know laboring time. Like he's been out there farming and doing tilling the fields and all that stuff. So he's gotten he's gotten pretty jacked. He's significantly beefier than he was when he fought Garage. Um, and that that's pretty cool, quite frankly. I already knew that because I've seen the 8.2 model. And I think I even wrote a post for the site calling it like Thrall's Gun Show because the dude's got arms now. Um, but that, that was fun. I loved the interplay between Thrall and Sorfang, where Thrall does his his typical Thrall thing of I must I cannot take on this burden. I must I cannot be your savior. And Sorfang just kind of goes, I didn't ask you, man. That was the happiest yeah. moment of that cinematic yeah. for me. Yeah, I didn't ask. I was hoping you'd fight for the Horde. I wasn't asking you to lead it. Here's the part that I found kind of interesting, and this is the part I kind of want to discuss a little bit more. Saurfang and Thrall are talking, and some undead assassins pop out and attack the two of them. And at the end of 
both Thrall and Saurfang dispatching these guys. At the end of that, Thrall says, you led them here. And Saurfang says, no, I followed them. That has some pretty serious implications. Yep. But it well, also I mean, makes sense. Yeah, because it's, it's not like... The second Saurfang goes missing, it's not like it takes. it's going to take someone of Sylvanas' caliber as a tactician and strategist very long to figure out where he's going to go. Like, yeah. he can't go to any Horde leaders. He can't go... He can't, obviously can't go to Bane. To he can't Bane. go to the Alliance. Yeah. He just left the Alliance. You know? he, he So where is he going to go? Well... This is the one place. This is where he went last time. This is where he's going to go. I mean, it's it doesn't take much. You know, she she's wants to remove that possibility, and okay, she's never liked let's Thrall, let's, so. let's table that for a second here, and, and let's look at it from another angle. Was did were those assassins sent because everybody assumed that's where Saurfang was going to go, or were those assassins sent? Because Sylvanas wanted to take out Thrall before he could do anything. I both. honestly, yeah, I was going to say both. I, I really feel that it's both because with Thrall out there, even if he doesn't actively want to participate in the Horn anymore, he's still a threat, right? He He's the one that unified a bunch of these races and brought them all under a banner and did all these things. He's an icon. So even if it wasn't a factor of this is where Sarfang's going to go for help, it's the minute he hears about what happened with Bane, he's probably going to want to do something or at least advise people to do something that isn't in Sylvanas's best interest. So he's got a target on his back. The minute she took over as war chief at some point it was going to happen. This just sort of like, it makes sense. And then the added thing of, well, Sarfang escaped, whether you helped him or whether he uh, beat you down and ran off. And like you said, Sarfang can't go anywhere else. That is the most logical place for him to go. He can't because he can't go to Zandalar. He can't go to any of the Horde leaders. He just left the Alliance. Even then, most of the Alliance doesn't know what's up with him. So if he just an orc pops up in Stormwind, he's probably going to get killed or they're going to try to kill him. So where is he going to go? He's going to go to Outland. He's going to go looking for Thrall. He's going to go looking for somebody who isn't tied up with, you know, what's immediately happening to get help. So try to take that away from him. And it just happens to coincide with the fact that, well, this is a large threat to me. Cool. We'll kill that too. What do you think, Rossi? Like I said, both. I, I think that I think she's been planning to kill Thrall for a while, quite frankly. Um, going all the way back to Wrath of the Lich King when she went to Thrall for help, she's never liked Thrall. The two of them don't, they don't see eye to eye on anything. They, they got along really well when they didn't interact. When he just left her the heck alone and she kept everything as quiet as possible. And it wasn't it wasn't Garage who put Corcron in Undercity. It was Thrall. He was still in charge of the Horde at that time. The Corcron who were put in Undercity, that's Thrall's decision. Mm-hmm. So the second he did that, he crossed the line with her. I mean, she she knew it was going to happen, but that doesn't mean she liked it. So, and now she's got the power to do something about it. Yeah, and it it, it comes. You'll also notice that they're. There's an interesting part when he when Sarfang pulls the mask back on that Forsaken. Did you look at the face? Yeah. Did you notice something mm-hmm. about it? It has the night elf markings. Yes. Yep. So those are former night elves. Which they just recently acquired a whole bunch of. Yeah, those are night elves that she's raised. The night elves that she's raised may not necessarily, they're not going to have any loyalty to Thrall. They might even blame Thrall for what's happened. None of this would have happened if not for Thrall. 
when you raise an interesting point too, because we've already seen that like with a bunch of the scenarios and with the, the dark shore stuff in particular, those raised elves, the ones that chose to be reanimated are incredibly resentful and grateful for the chance to go do what they want to do. So their loyalty is 100% to Sylvanas at this point without any mind altering anything. Yeah. And so you don't, you don't need to like worry about them having any loyalty to thrall. You don't have to worry about them being like uh, a typical forsaken might have served in the horde military might have been part of the horde this whole time might have a little hesitation towards attacking Sorfang or thrall, but night elves, especially formerly, you know, former night elves who are now forsaken. They didn't like thrall. They didn't like thrall to begin with. Why would they even, you know, all the stuff that happened, in you know with Warsong Gulch and all that, that happened under Thrall. Thrall didn't stop it. All of this is stuff that Thrall could have stopped years ago and always refused to. He didn't do it. He didn't step up. Why wouldn't they hate him? I think you made an so. interesting point as far as the Forsaken are concerned, um, and who she chose to send after Thrall. And I'm wondering if part of her reasoning for sending those night elves was because there's a part of her that still doesn't quite trust her own people. Cause as we saw in before the storm, as we saw in before the storm, there was a faction that didn't necessarily agree with her and mm-hmm. agree with everything that she said. And yeah, sure. She might have gotten rid of the council, but that but doesn't, still... that doesn't mean that they were the only ones. Well, plus, I mean, the Forsaken have had time to be free-willed and come out, you know, these these undead might not even know they're free-willed yet. They might not be entirely aware that they can they can oppose her, you know? The, all they know is that they're she raised them. Their quiver. Yeah. And if they get killed, so what? And if they get caught, they're, they're night elves. Sure, they're undead. Maybe they snapped. She could always play it off, you know? that they're They didn't they, transition well. They accepted the deal, but they only did it to hurt the Horde. You know, there's all sorts of ways she could play it. And that's fascinating to me. I do think that from the, I think she's, the reason she's trying to kill him now is because now is when he's the most dangerous. So take him out now. Like she was willing to just let him go do whatever the heck he was doing when he wasn't an issue. You know what I mean? Like when Sorfang was doing what she told him to, when, you know, Thrall was just off doing whatever and he didn't matter, then fine. You don't have to kill him, but if he's going to be a problem, take him out before he can be the problem. Don't do what Garage did and just let him let, don't let Thrall determine when Thrall decides to come back. I've said this before. I, I had a discussion online about it this weekend. It's not that, you know, you can argue that the, the, the story points are similar to previous expansions. And, and I give you that there are certain elements of this story that are similar to previous expansion stories, but it's how the characters react. That's interesting. And Sorfang has changed a good deal from the character he was in wrath. He has become somebody else. He's someone who is, I think he's at the point he's well beyond the despairing. He's, he's, he's gotten to a point where he's like, all right. I feel like he's, he's the dude that's super tired. He's just tired of it all. That's who he was. But nobody's nobody's doing anything about it. He's tired and he sees what's happening, but nobody's doing anything about it. So he kind of said, okay, I guess it's up to me. Well, I honestly feel like there's this moment. I think it happens in um, old soldiers, but you see it when the, in the Anduin one, which is name. I can't remember. I'm sorry. And you see it here too. He's moved past the wanting an honorable death to wanting an honorable life. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like, and if I, think I that's have it. to live, if I never get killed, if if I just keep living and living and living, then I want my life to be worthwhile. I want it to be honorable. I want to do the right thing, whatever it costs me. Yeah, and there's a certain amount of. I think you you really get that part where his like I said Thrall says I will not lead the horde and Sarfang's response was I didn't ask. Sarfang knows who's going to be leading the horde and it's not Thrall. Mm-hmm. You know, Sarfang has made that decision already. So, I mean, he might get killed, but he's made the decision who who he has decided will be leading the horde in the future. He knows who he's decided on. You know, and I honestly do think that ties into stuff that's going to happen in eight point two that we'll be talking about shortly. But I do think the cinematic is all about that. Thrall, Thrall has a role to play and can, in fact, have a role to play going forward. But it's not as War Chief. He did the job when he was the right choice for it, but he isn't the right choice anymore. The Horde needs a different War Chief than Thrall. And Sarfing has already decided who he thinks it is. And on so. that note, I think we should go ahead and move on into 8.2 stuff altogether. So, yeah, uh, last chance for your spoiler warning, folks. We're about to, like, dive into it. Okay, there are several plot elements that are popping up all over 8.2. Some of them have been data mined, some of them are playable. One of the things that's playable right now is uh, you get to free Bane Bloodhoof. He is imprisoned beneath Orgrimmar. You You might recognize some of these places. And yeah, you get to go down there and you get to free him. And you're obviously not doing it unopposed. You're going to run into stuff while you're down there. But both the Alliance and the Horde take part in this. Not only do they both take part in this, but on the Alliance side, we're talking Jaina. And to me, that makes sense because Bane returned her brother to her. Bane has always been diplomatic with her and even been friendly with her. On the Horde side, it's Lorthamar. Yeah, that made me so happy. And that's a little different. It's, it well, a little different. It's a lot different. Because Lorthamar, yes, he's leaving the Blood Elves, and yes, they are kind of one of the more marginalized races in the Horde, and have been for quite some time, like back in Wrath. Back in Wrath, Sylvanas kind of said, we need you to go to Northrend, even though they had very few fighting forces at that point and they went and they did all their stuff but the the blood elves have always been kind of teetering on the brink of allegiance as it were what makes it interesting to me though is that Lorthamar and Sylvanas they knew each other like when she was alive they knew each other um so the fact that he's turning on her now has like kind of a different flavor to me I guess I don't know um so the interesting thing with that yeah, go ahead. I was going to say the interesting thing with that setup too, though, is when we were talking about the divergent quests before, where you like you get different options, but like going with the Zappy Boy and Sarfang, there is a divergence here too. Like, I don't know if you like wanted to talk about that real quick or want me to go bring for that it, up a Joe. Bit. So it's interesting. So like when you get the plan from Lorthamar, like it, it is exactly like when when Bane was arrested. If you took the time to talk to all the NPCs, like I suggested that you guys do, and if you haven't, go and do it. Um you start to see where the, the, the seeds of this are already been planted, right? Like Lothamar is already like, there's going to be ramifications for this. There's going to be, there, there will be a reckoning. He, he was a little more elfy than that when he said it, but that's the sort of the gist of it. And this is the culmination of it. And it's, if you go talk to him, it's, you know, Bane was the best of us. He represents what is best in the horde and we can't let him be killed. Cause that's what spurns us is Intel says that Bane's about to 
killed. Well, here's the thing. Depending on what you chose way back when, there is a different type of quest where maybe if you are a Sylvanas loyalist, now all of a sudden you're talking to Nathanos Blightcaller, who knows about the plan. And instead of, you know, getting you into the scenario under, you know, you're going to go save Vayne, it's, no, I want you to play along for now. I'll send word ahead. And uh, we'll see if we can, you know, kill multiple birds with one stone. But go do my bidding. Go do the queen's bidding now. And I think that's really interesting because if you weren't a Sylvanas loyalist, you don't get to see that at all. Like that, you don't see that, you don't hear it. But it's a nice little divergence where, yeah, even though you're doing this, it's confirmation. Sylvanas is aware of what the heck is going on still, even now, even with this rescue attempt. And that's massively cool. Rossi, you got any thoughts on all this? I think it's interesting that the Alliance is willing to put, and Jaina of all people, is willing to put forth as much effort to get Bane out. Um, and it's interesting that it's Jaina and Lorthamar again, because there's an interesting bit. If you do the, if you do it as, um, you do it Horde side, Lorthamar, Lorthamar and Jaina came face to face on the Isle of Thunder. And that's referenced here. There's a bit where Lorthamar is talking to Thalysra and Thalysra is like, He's like, you know, hmm, interesting that the Alliance would even bother to help. And she's like, is it that strange? You, both the Alliance and the Horde helped my people in Suramar. And he's like, we don't usually do that. And she goes, it seems to me like any if you don't turn away from fighting each other and go after Ashara, you're going to lose. She, she, Ashara herself is too powerful for you to be fighting each other and her at the same time. And her master is more powerful still. If you don't focus your your efforts forwards if you try to do this two ways at once you're going to lose and lorthamar's quotes uh i can't remember who it was i think it was uh taran Zhu. yeah it yeah. was taran Zhu. she quotes he quotes taran Zhu when he's like you know that's it ends when you turn and walk away and she's like huh he goes nothing it's just something i i heard once he said it was some it was a lesson that was taught to him and jaina yeah that's right he, he he's referencing that the fact that he and Jaina had that experience before it was that so, face off on the Isle of Thunder. Yeah. Where she could have killed him easy. Um, quite frankly, Jaina has been holding back so, so bloody long that I'm kind of terrified of when she finally does cut loose. Uh, but anyway, um, there's, there's an interesting, that interchange that between Thalysra and, and uh, Th- Lothamar is interesting because it is, it's kind of showing the way forward, I think. I think that we're starting to finally get a sense of how this is going to work, how this is going to resolve the Horde Alliance conflict. They're not going to become friends. They're not going to suddenly be all buddy-buddy. We're not going to be all sitting under a, like an umbrella singing Kumbaya and drinking you know, daiquiris or anything like that. It's more like we're going to enter back into that uneasy peace that we had back in, in WoW. Coexist. But, but this time it'll, it'll be because we actually made the decision. Not because we had to work together and now we're just kind of trying to figure it out. It's going to be an actual, you do what you do, we do what we do, and it'll enter into a kind of Cold War period. The interesting thing about that for me, too, is that on the Alliance side, that's a conversation between Jaina and Greymane. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's an interesting duo to have that sort of conversation as far as I'm concerned, especially with everything that's happened over the last several expansions. Like, But I think you're right. I think it is showing the way forward. and I think. I think it's what a lot of us as fans of this sort of universe have been asking for is there doesn't necessarily have to always be this all out war between the factions. There can be an uneasy coexistence that sometimes erupts into skirmishes or whatever. That's fine. But that makes more sense, at least to me, with what they've crafted in the the stories over the years. 
and they're starting to sort of like feed into how sort of like the ship writes itself here. And I like that because I've been wondering how we're going to correct course, especially with the big bads looming with Ez- with Azara and with Nizoth. Like, how do you rectify? How do you how do you abruptly end a war that still feels natural? and puts you in a position where you are still working towards a common goal. Well, now we're starting to see the sort of the sprouts from those seeds. And I'm, I'm enjoying that. I mean, ultimately if you're not willing to make, to bite the bullet and have the war happen. And that seems to be that the problem here is if you have the war, you end up having to have one side win. And that's going to be a problem when half your player base is on the other side. Well, there, and not only that, ways, but I mean, no, there, there are different ways to go around it. But uh, oh, there's one line here where Gen says, hold on, are you suggesting we lay down our arms and fight beside them after all they've done? I went and looked that up because I was curious as to what Gen's actual response was. I had forgotten it. And Gen's got a point here. Um, selling peace between these two factions is never going to be easy. Yeah. Um, each side has plenty of reason to resent the other. Um, I used to play Horde as my, my main was like, board for years and right around the time of mr pandaria i just couldn't do it anymore like i was like no I'm, i can't I, I can't play this anymore and i've never really been able to get back to it like i i've always leveled my torn last sometimes i don't level my torn at all i this expansion's lore has really made it hard for me to play horde and that's always going to be a hard sell and i think they're coming up with like the only way that it could happen is that they don't they you know the resolution has to be a willing disengagement rather than we come together as brothers there's not going to be any coming together as brothers it's just going to be okay we don't need to be murdering each other all the time and i kind of feel like i'm interested to see what they do with that if that makes sense like i I do think that you could move into a cold war type situation with more espionage and we've got the characters for it now we do wow's got the, the the savvy characters on both sides who could run you know like born style spy you know james lacar spies on a park bench type stuff where you could have like old school horde and alliance like you know figures getting together and like sniping at each other verbally rather than murdering each other like imagine gen Greymane at some kind of event where he and like if they didn't if they don't kill her off imagine him and sylvanas at a at like a, f- a formal dinner talking oh jeez and he'd be like, you know, oh, you look well for a rotting corpse. And she'd say, oh, they, did they let you in? Did you get your flea bath? And he'd be like, huh, that's funny. Remember the time I completely destroyed your chance to reproduce? <laughs> I do. <laughs> Every night. <laughs> but that's that's possible. You could have that. You know, less Warsong gulches and more, okay, it's, a, it's Dalaran's neutral, so we have to play nice. But do, do you know what I'm saying? Like, I do feel like there's actually a path forward to that kind of storytelling here. Well, the I other also, thing. Sorry, I also feel like it's worth pointing out here that in that conversation that Jaina and Gan have, Jaina does say flat out, "There must be vengeance for Teldrassil." So they aren't putting that off the board. They aren't going to ignore the fact that Teldrassil was destroyed. It's just at the moment there are bigger matters to worry about. She also yeah. says that in when they're going into the the uh, underground of Orgrimmar. She has an exchange. I don't know if it's there or if it's in uh, in Valshara, not Valshara, sorry, Najatar. But she has an exchange with Elisera. So Elisera makes a comment, and Jaina says, "Oh, really? Like Teldrassil? Oh, wait, no, it's it's against Talanji. That's right. Talanji makes a crack about how they killed her father, and she goes, "At least you still have a country." 
ask the ask the people of of Teldrassil how they feel. And it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. These two are not going to be friends anytime soon. Like Talanji is going to hate the Alliance forever. And the Alliance doesn't care, like even a little. They do not feel bad that they killed him. You know, they killed Rastakhan. They don't feel bad about it because he was the one getting involved in the Horde. It wasn't like they did. They didn't make him go join the Horde. So there's like all these interesting moments. And I, I feel like I want more of them having conversations and less of them, you know, sending us off to do stupid murder missions. I, and I, I do like that. I don't know how to put this. The, the bit where, uh, I can't remember her name. I don't know if he or she even the, the spirit Walker, something, the one that tips off Lorthamar. About- uh, spirit Walker. Ah, oh, crap. I know this. Uso. 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 Okay. Yep. Yeah, I can't remember. Sorry, I should go look that up too. Um, but the the fact that the Spirit Walker is like, you know, this is what's going on. The the spirits are unhappy because Bane's gonna die. Like she's gonna kill Bane, and she's smart to kill Bane from a purely pragmatic standpoint because right now she's got him. But if he ever gets out, like there's a lot of people who respect Bane, and the fact that he's flat out turned on her means that he could definitely crack the uh, foundation that she's resting her power on. So there's there's a lot going on here. I don't really know exactly the fact that you know. Meanwhile, if if you if you're a Sylvanas loyalist, you can basically be doing the whole quest line from the perspective of a double agent who's really working for Nathanos and Sylvanas makes it all very tense. Like I don't, I have no idea where this is all going to end up. I don't know how they're going to write a story that pleases both groups. Quite frankly, it's um, going to be interesting. Moving on. There's one player that we haven't heard from in quite a while. And the last time we heard from her, she was making a deal with Sylvanas or, well, sailing out to meet Sylvanas with the intent of making a deal. And that would be Lady Ashvane. In 8.2, it becomes clear that her motivations are, well, her loyalties lie elsewhere. Um, Have you guys seen the stuff for that? Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So Ashvane has apparently made a deal with Ashara. What which, I find... which works, right? Because that's what she was doing beforehand. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. On the one hand, it makes sense. On the other hand, did she totally diss Sylvanas by turning to Ashara? Or was this part of Sylvanas's plan? Because we didn't really see the deal that the two of them made. And we didn't see that conversation that the two of them had. The last we saw Ashvane, Sylvanas was breaking her out of jail for some reason. We do know that Sylvanas is also messing around with Zalatath. Um, she seems to be really interested in that knife. And we all know where that knife came from. Well, a knife now with an empty void inside of it as it no longer has a soul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's still, it's still kind of interesting here because it's like, well... Did Ashvane turn to Ashara or was Ashvane told to go to Ashara? Is Sylvanas working with Ashara or is Sylvanas working with Nizoth? And that wouldn't make any sense either because the Void was very, very clear that it wanted Sylvanas out of the picture entirely. So I don't know. Do you guys have any thoughts about this? Because here's what's happened. Here's what happens to Ashvane. Ashvane shows up and she's working for Ashara now. Um, we get into a conflict with her, and at the end of that conflict, Ashara transforms her into a sea giant, and then we have to fight that. So Ashvane does not get 
a glorious end. Ashrain does not get redemption in any way. Ashrain just kind of cares about what she cares about, and that's it. But do you guys have any thoughts on that? I do, but I don't let Joe go first. No, go for it, Rossi. Um, I think it's interesting that the, for all of her power and knowledge, and we see a lot of Ashara's both power and knowledge in this expand in this patch. Um, there's stuff with Elisra and uh, Chandra's Feathermoon, and I'm always going to want to talk about Chandra's Feathermoon more than anything else you bring up. So that's why I'm throwing it in now, just to stick a pin in that that we will be going back to Chandra's Feathermoon. Uh, but anyway, Ashvane is working for Ashara as kind of an Azerite weapons master. She knows how to make Azerite weapons, and Ashara has her doing that. That's interesting to me, because that implies there's stuff Ashara doesn't know how to do. Or that she doesn't have people that know how to do yet, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. She needed Ashvane to do it. I mean, she doesn't like Ashvane very much, and the second she gets a chance, she's like, you know, oh, I made, I did make you a promise, didn't I? Well, then here it is fulfilled. And she turned, you know... Ashara is really good at giving you what you said you wanted, just not the way you wanted it. Oh, yeah, she's totally, sure. she's totally the yeah. genie from the Wishmaster. Yeah, I, I definitely think Ashvane didn't want to be turned into a sea giant. Uh, but it interests me because I your your point about Sylvanas is well taken. Like, Sylvanas is the one that got her broken out. Um, it does make me wonder if there's any connection between Sylvanas and Ashara at this point. I don't know of one. And we don't like, see anything that says they're talking or otherwise communicating, but even in the spoilers, I didn't see anything, but yeah. yeah, it is fascinating to think about the possibility that Sylvanas might be knowingly or unknowingly manipulated by either as Shara or by Nzoth himself, uh, or even just working alongside, you know, they're, they're each of them are working alongside counter paths. See, now that one, I think the Nzoth angle is a little more likely because it's a lot easier instead of directly manipulating Sylvanas. Like it doesn't seem like it's something where she's getting whispers in the night, right? Like no, it, that it, kind of thing. Forget it. She that, that would not work on right. Sylvanas. However, if you were to pose it by let's say intelligence, and, and this goes back to what we were talking about with the whole Bane rescue, right? Sylvanas has an extensive spy network that goes across the entirety of Azeroth. That their entire job is to bring her interesting things or things that might be of import to her. So all you need to do is plant sort of a reliable seed, have this this sort of information pop up in a couple different areas. Oh, whether guys, it's guys, she, oh, oh, go ahead. 8.1.5, the uh, Crucible of Storms, a whole lot of people, if your character keeps the, the eye on their forehead, if they keep the gift of Nazoth, you see other people throughout the world with it on them. Including yep. NPCs. Yeah. What if he's already got moles inside her intelligence organization? Yep. He doesn't need to control her. If... He just has to get information to her. Yeah. And I think to a certain degree, like, that's the thing with Ashara. Like, Sylvanas might think she's stealing a match because she knows Ash- Ashvane is against the Alliance and will her escape will, de- will make trouble for the Kul'Tarens without really thinking about who exactly her paymaster is. Because it wouldn't have been common knowledge that her paymaster was Ashara. Just like it's not common knowledge among the Alliance that Zul's paymaster was Ashara. Mm-hmm. You know, Ashara was working with both of them. There's no reason either side would necessarily know that. You know, both factions have a hard time getting hard. You know, there's a certain amount of intelligence you're not going to get from the Horde and vice versa. There's no reason. There's a perfect reason for her to know that Ashvane rebelled against, you know, Kul'Tiris' leadership. But why she did it, not necessarily out there in the open. Right. I mean, and, and to somebody like Sylvanas, the saying that this person 
just wanted more power or they were just looking to take control of things. That's something she can understand, right? That That's a concept that she thinks she can exploit. So it would make sense that, oh, here's this Azerite weapon master that the tried to overthrow the Alliance that just wants power. Well, I can manipulate her to do what I want when in fact, eh, not so much, right? Like, and I think that's sort of the interesting thing. And it comes back to like the Zalatath thing. How did Sylvanas find out about Zalatath? Why did she find out about Zalatath? That whole thing smacks of there's already people that are influenced by Nazoth in other ways, feeding that information to her spy network. If they're not part of her spy network, to get her to act upon these things that are either juicy tidbits or things that think that would be tactically important to her. And I think that's really, I think that's interesting because like, like we said, she's not somebody who's going to directly, she's not going to be like garage, right? She's not going to like talk to this beating heart and be like, yeah, okay, this is a cool idea. Let's go ahead and do this. She's going to be very skeptical because it's like, what am I giving up in return? What does this thing want for me? But if it's presented in a way that she's the one completely in control from the beginning, she's going to do it. I think it comes back to the idea that there's difference between the way Sylvanas and Garrosh approach things. Garrosh was a sucker puncher. Garrosh always wanted like the secret weapon that he could unleash to do a tremendous amount of damage, devastation up front. He wanted to be able to hit the Alliance hard so they couldn't respond. Like, blow up. He didn't want to just blow up Theramore. He wanted to blow up Theramore with the Alliance leadership in it. That to take them intent. out in one yeah. go. That's always the way when he when he tried to steal the divine bell. He again he wanted a secret weapon he could unleash to destroy a bunch of stuff in one fell swoop. He wanted to. He, that's always been his way. He wants to. When he got the heart, you saw if you did mythic um, garage in in mists uh, in siege of Orgrimmar, you saw that he wanted to use to unleash the heart's power on Stormwind. Mm-hmm. He wanted to rip it the, the beating heart of the alliance out in one go. That's always been his way. That's not Sylvanas's way. Sylvanas is a counterpuncher. Sylvanas lets you do stuff and then responds. And you'll notice the one time that Sylvanas didn't, the one time that she tried to jump the gun and went after uh, Malfurion beforehand, it didn't work out. Sylvanas' best work has always been in response to somebody else. Her whole thing against the Lich King originally, the, 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 the tactics that almost won, were delaying tactics. She kept falling back. She wouldn't meet him in straight up combat. And if there wasn't a traitor on the on the blood on the night elf, not blood elf, sorry, uh, high elf side. Elf, yeah. If it wasn't if not for Dracondathir, she would have won. She would have just kept him out. He wouldn't have been able to do anything. That's her. That's her gift. That's her strategic gift. And when she does stuff, you'll notice that when she tries to do stuff that's more straightforward, that's when it seems to not work as well for her. So I'm interested to see how this all works out. I'm interested to see what her deal with Ashvane was or is. We still don't even know what her deal with uh, Helia was. No. Which I think I think we're probably going to wind up finding out sooner rather than later. I think that's going to come to the surface before the end of this experience. Okay. Um, I want to move on to something else that I found really fascinating. Uh, the way that our hearts of Azeroth, the necklaces that we've been wearing... The way that those work is being changed in 8.2, and there's a quest line that goes along with that. Um, the quest line's pretty fascinating. What's interesting is what kicks this all off is that Mother has finished her calculations, and the Chamber of the Heart has been repaired. It's not leaking Azerite anymore, and Magni is pretty satisfied with what's going on. However, Mother tells you that there's 
obviously there's this new Azurite Essences system. And then after that, she sends you on a journey to stop further disturbances on Azeroth. And interestingly enough, this involves the dragon aspects, the various dragon flights. Um, have you guys caught up with that? Mostly the stuff that involves the uh, black dragon flight. I'm a little bit behind on that part of it. so Okay, well... It's not just the Black Dragon Flight, although the Black Dragon Flight is the first one that you're sent after um, you go to find, you go to Neltharian's Lair, and you find Spiritwalker Ebonhorn, and you find Navarog, and there's basically Azerite fissures that you have to seal, there's an encounter that you have to complete, and when you're done with all of that, you get an essence. After that, though, um, Ebonhorn returns to the Chamber of the Heart, and he stays put. He's actually like staying put there, um, which is kind of interesting because we didn't think he was able to do that in Legion and in the events that were leading up to Battle for Azeroth. But you're sent onward from there. You're sent to Nordrasil, and in Nordrasil, uh, it's being sieged by Azerite elementals. You have to fight those back, and that actually culminates in an Azerite Leviathan being summoned in the Well of Eternity, which is big bad news. Um, and once you defeat that, then there's more stuff to do from there. One of them sends you to the Maelstrom, and to the that... to the Shaman uh, mm-hmm. Order Hall. That's yeah, exactly you're where sent it goes to the Maelstrom. Again. It's also being assaulted by Azerite elementals. They're led by an Azerite giant. You have to defeat the giant. Nobundu is very grateful. And then you return to the chamber again. And then, and this one requires, it requires level 54 on your heart of Azeroth in order to start it. But this is the one that I thought was probably the most fascinating. Caligos shows up and he sends you to Valshara to talk to Marithra, who is one of the green dragons of the dream. Because Ysera has passed away, the green dragon flight has pretty much been in turmoil, and he's sending you to go help them out. Um, this calls back to the end of the Emerald Nightmare Raid, where if you stuck around, you saw Ysera's spirit walk under that tree, and there was that that little bit, that little piece of the void, the remnant of the void that was left there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you get sent into the Emerald Dreamway again and you keep going deeper in still and there are void horrors in there. Um, whatever that thing was, it's apparently taken root and you have to deal with it. Um, that part I thought was pretty interesting in and of itself. And then after that is finished, remember how we were talking about how we hadn't seen Alex Draza? In yeah, like, this... Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, that this was the, probably the most interesting to me because, like, I'm sorry, what? The next step that that you take, and this requires level 58 on, on your Heart of Azeroth, you go to the Twilight Highlands. Kalagos is enlisting you to go in to investigate because there's stuff going on and the Vermilion Redoubt, that's the uh, Red Dragonflight area, it's under attack by the Twilight Dragonflight. If you remember the Twilight Dragonflight, they were introduced way back in Cataclysm because there was stuff that was going on. Um, apparently, they've experienced some kind of resurgence, and you have to go. You have to go defeat them. You have to go help things out. Um, Alex Straza, at the end of it all, she says that 
you've saved the red dragon flight from a terrible fate um and sends you on your way pretty much but um at the end of all of this at the end of all of this when you reach level 70 on your heart of azeroth and this is way down the road because this is this is all stuff that you're not going to be able to do on day one right it, it's going to take you time to get through all of this at the end of all of this though you go back and Caligos gives you his blessing and there's this awesome in-game cinematic where all of the dragon flights are represented and it gives you uh what's it called it's I think it's like the charge scale of the blue aspect or something like that yeah that's um yep. and it teaches you the final rank of crucible of flame which is one of the abilities for your heart of Azeroth it's the whole essence system that we've been talking about um and it's actually kind of funny because at the end of all of it apparently <laughs> At the end of all of it, Chromie pops up and says she's finally early for once, and she's definitely not. <laughs> but I mean, what, what I thought interesting about all of this is that we're getting the aspects involved again, and we're getting the dragon flights involved again, and this is all stuff that we thought we were done with, and it doesn't look like we are. There's more though too, like with the black uh-huh. dragon flight stuff. Oh yeah, like. Dude, the black there's a black talon watcher. Yeah, like, we haven't even gotten into the Rathion oh, stuff Lord. yet. We haven't even gotten into the Rathion stuff yet. What I'm finding interesting, just kind of like overarching over all of it, is we thought we were done with the aspects, and it's very clear that we are not. Well, and I think that's good. I mean, honestly, because it's one of those things where we have so many loose ends. We were talking about this several episodes ago, where like we were wondering what the heck Alex Strauss has been up to, and we haven't heard anything from her. Now we at least get something. Caligo sort of disappeared after Legion, at least from everything we've seen. And yeah, he's got other things to deal with, but like you would expect to have him around at some point. You guys, you know that the, there's more even involving something Ashara says about the Heart of Azeroth, right? Yeah. We mm-hmm. haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. Um, looking at all this, remembering the Hour of Twilight, remembering what they said during the Hour of Twilight, you ever get the feeling that this was all exactly what the old gods wanted them to do? Here's, you know what? Like okay. the hour of twilight and everything they did We're going was to exactly pause. what they wanted. We're going to pause for a second on the aspects and the 8.2 conversation. And we're going to jump to an email. Cause there's an email that talks about stuff like this. Um, and I think that fits right here into this conversation that we're having right now. Uh, this is from Leoden, who's a human paladin on Veklanesh, who says, Something that you missed while talking about end time. Murazan said something very interesting that a lot of people missed. You crawl unwitting like a blind, writhing worm towards endless madness and despair. I have witnessed the true end time. This, this is a blessing you simply cannot comprehend. The end time we saw was the end time that Murazan weaves and sets the events to. The end time, I once called this place. I had not seen by then. I did not know. You hope to what? Stop me here? Change the fate I worked so tirelessly to weave? And then Leonid Leonin says, I think we're going to see the beginning of the infinite flight in this expansion. I don't know if we're going to see the beginning of the infinite dragon flight, but he's got a really good point here. If Murazan can see all possible futures and everything else, and he's witnessed the true end time and the end time that we went and fought through, that dungeon that we went and fought through, that was supposedly a blessing. You know how we were talking last time about uh, whether or not we were actually in the real end time? Mm-hmm. I'm beginning to think that maybe our theory is a little more correct than we thought. 
I, I, like I said before, it just seemed that it was a little too parallel to what's happening right now. And Rossi, and you were weird. sorry, Rossi. I interrupted you. You were talking about the end time stuff. So go, go ahead, continue. Um, well, I just think it's interesting that if you look at what happened at the end of Hour of Twilight, if you at the end of the the raid, when when uh, Nosdormo says, "I'm sacrificing all my power to bind all timelines," what happens now will will never be undone, and they all sacrifice all their power, and they sacrifice all their power to stop Deathwing, Deathwing. Deathwing was immensely powerful, but he wasn't an old god. He was imbued with the power of the old of god, which one, is why he went all tentacly, but yeah. yeah. One old god who himself is still out there, still has all his power, and has sacrificed what exactly? The strongest of his enemies. Because that's something we need to put forward. Neltharion was at one time the strongest of the aspects. Not strongest is like you know it's a, it's a loaded term um each of them had their strengths and their weaknesses alexstrasza you could call the strongest because of her compassion and her power over life uh Ysera, you could have called the strongest because of her you know grasp of the dream but notharian was the bulwark that they all leaned on you saw that with the way malagos talked to him in in the original uh war of the ancient books before everybody found out what he had been doing everybody relied on him everybody trusted him and they got rid of him and he was never replaced. When 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 Malagos went crazy and died, he got replaced by Caligos. There was a mechanism in place to replace an aspect, but the old gods corrupted him, and so he didn't die, and so he was never replaced, thus taking the, the black dragons out of circulation indefinitely. They were now an enemy. They weren't a member. The, the, from that moment, the aspects were no longer sufficient to their task. They couldn't watch the old gods. They couldn't protect Azeroth. They were too busy trying to stop him. And so when he dies, they sacrifice all their power to stop it. They make themselves not aspects anymore. Maybe the whole reason that the Titans' gift passed from them and they started not, you know, they're now mortal, but they can't have children. Maybe it's because their gift wasn't supposed to pass from them. They weren't intended to do this. This it wasn't was the end time they were supposed to prevent. And more importantly, it's Nosdormu who has just taken us through the end time dungeon, who has just seen his own death. It's Nosdormu who comes up with it. It's Nosdormu who says that, who makes that thing about I'm taking all my power to seal off all possible timelines. This will never be undone. If Nosdormu is Murazond, how do we know he wasn't Murazond at that moment? That's, it was mo- that's the part wouldn't... that I find kind of interesting about that statement that he said in end time. He says he's witnessed the true end time, but this, this is a blessing you simply cannot comprehend. You think to do what? And You and, hope to what? Stop me here? Change the fate I work so tirelessly to weave? When did he start working to tirelessly to weave it? We, we, at the end of, of the raid, you hear him say, I will infuse all my power to sacrifice, I will sacrifice all my power to, to close off all these alternative timelines. I will make it so this cannot be undone. Is that the start of what he, he you know, wove? Is that the beginning of his tapestry? Well, and what I found interesting here, too, is when he initially said this, when Murazan initially said this, the whole, I've witnessed the true end time, this, this is a blessing you simply cannot comprehend. Um, I thought he meant that everybody being dead and Neltharion being speared on, on, on the tower and all of that, that was the blessing. But I'm wondering if the true end time is the blessing that he's talking about like he's just so addled here 
I don't know. It's look at weird. the sentence structure. Look yeah. At, look at what he says. He says, I have witnessed the true end time. This, this is a blessing you simply cannot comprehend. Everybody dying here? This no, is a no, blessing. No, no, no. No? I have witnessed the true end time. Yeah. This is a blessing you cannot comprehend. That I have seen the true end time. My having seen, my having witnessed the true end time is the blessing that you cannot comprehend. Oh, God. I have foreknowledge that you don't understand. That Nizaki. I know. Me. Yeah, I know what's going to happen. I'm no longer limited to what the Titans showed me of the future. I now see everything. I have witnessed the true end time. All possibilities. I, what is it? And what was it the original, the very first time we see the infinite dragon flight? The very first time we see them in uh, what's the name of the, the the three dungeons caverns of time caverns of time but there's a specific the dungeon i'm thinking about there's the one we, where they go after thrall remember they go after thrall that that comes back Dernhold. To this. there's Dernhold, and then there's the one with the swamp of sorrows That's... uh black morass yeah in black morass the first boss shows up and goes we were we will shatter this clockwork universe the universe they want to break is the one that operates along predictable pathways that can be set up like a machine. That the Titans, the Titans are creatures of ultimate order. It's the Titans' view of time that the they're circle. out to break. Yeah, not just a circle, but a clockwork one. Or the cycle. And think about this in terms of like, if you're Murozond, you've gone from Nosdormu's view of time where you have to die here, and the Titan is showing you that. So that you'll be humble, because you'll always know this is when I die. Two, you don't know when you're going to die, because there are all these possibilities. This is the the void's view of the future. Everything is true. Every possibility could happen. Oh, this is the yes. true end time. And this is a blessing was, you simply cannot comprehend. That was the moment of his corruption. Mm -hmm. When he went from seeing that one future in which he knew the moment of his own demise to the moment where he saw all possible futures... Mm -hmm. infinite spreading out oh oh jeez jeez and we and we went with him and he took us to that point exactly as Murazond would have known he would Murazond no would have known exactly what Nosdormu was going to do mm -hmm. I mean he's the one that set it up so he couldn't just do it so Murazond knew exactly that Nosdormu was going to show up there with that hourglass in that place sacred to the bronze dragon flight. He knew they were going to be there and he knew he even says, doesn't he reference Amonthul when he dies? Yes. And he's like, I'm not he sure does. we viewed it as, as him crying out to Amonthul, but what if it's a repudiation? I need to look at the exact quote. You guys talk while I find the exact quote. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's, it's one of those <laughs> things where he says something makes... about, about Amonthul. What Amonthul showed him was terror. I don't remember exactly what he said. Um, but the the point being here, though, is that what we thought was triumph over the infinite dragonflight might actually been have been the moment of its genesis, and we didn't know. And I mean, and it would make the most sense too, especially if we go with the idea that, it, and I like to say it, we as players are really short sighted. Yeah. Here it is. Here it okay. is. Here it is. Murzond yells, "You know not what you have done, Amanthul. What I have seen." And then Nosdormu says, at last it has come to pass, the moment of my demise. The loop is closed. My future self will cause no more harm. Still, in time, I will fall to madness. And you, heroes, will vanquish me. The cycle will repeat. So it goes. 
What matters is that Azeroth did not fall, that we survived to fight another day. As Dormu turns away from where Morozan died and looks up at the hourglass of time, all that matters is this moment. Ah! So he literally... It reads so differently now. It really yeah. does. He's not crying out to Amanthul. He's simply saying, I have seen this, Amanthul. You know, you know not what you have done, but I have seen it. I know what you've done. This, he was there to die. He went there to die to get Nosdormu to see it. Because Nosdormu had to see the loop closed before he could be open to the possibilities opening around him. He couldn't become infinite until he had seen the end of the, of the Titan's vision. So there's this just... Oh, no! Yeah. This is all, like, the implications from this are... Now, keep in mind, guys, that we are... This is speculation. We are speculating. But, oh, that doesn't look good. That doesn't look good at all. Um, and I thought that the stuff in the Emerald Dream was pretty terrible. But this kind of tops it all, doesn't it? Okay. A little bit. So, uh, Leoden, thank you for the email. You've just kind of, yeah, obviously opened a can of worms in the back of our brains. Uh, there's one other thing that I want to point out before we jump into anything else here uh, with the whole Heart of Azeroth scenario thing, that quest chain. While you are playing through it, after you get sent to Neltharian's lair, you can talk to Mother again and she has a new dialogue option. And that dialogue option, you can ask her, what else did you discover during your calculations? And she says, additional information granted. Error, additional Titan facility detected. Status, unknown. Recommendation, do not approach or engage. Yeah, well, we were talking about that. I think Rossi brought this up uh, a while ago. We have no idea how many Titan facilities are actually out there. There's another one out there. And when the big titan thing says don't approach that or engage it where is it what is it what is its purpose one yeah. possibility that comes to mind is it's a prison well i'm wondering because when we um when we go and we and we go into ashara's eternal palace uh part of the stuff that happens in there is that you do encounter the prison of nazoth and there's kind of like well, it's not the full prison, right? Like it's like just the tip of the iceberg, like literally a piece just the of tip it. Of the yeah, but yeah. you see the chains, and it's chains like similar to what we see with Yogg-Saron, mm -hmm. um, where they're chained in place. So, is that the facility, or are we talking about someplace entirely different? It would stand to make the most logical sense that that would be the the facility, simply because it's it's the next one we're going to at some point go to or deal with in some capacity because of Nazoth, but it would be more intriguing to me at least if there was a undisclosed location that we didn't know about. And we've seen them, like even just flying through Azeroth in the various different locations, you'll find like Titan Caves, like Shalzar Base and there's that weird one off to the off to the side that's not the Terrace of the Maker, but it's just like this one little like tiny little facility that has you have no clue what it's for. And, like, there's there's got to be tons of those all around Azeroth. So, I mean, logically speaking, it probably is Nazoth's prison, but it could literally be anything. Okay. Um, I'm going to move on here, and we're going to talk about Rathion for a minute, because that does pop up during this whole quest chain, um, and as well as in Nazjatar, in some places in Nazjatar. Uh, 
you don't see Rathion anywhere. He's not he's not visible anywhere. What you do see are Black Talon agents, and you can talk to them, and they will tell you about as much as they've told you throughout the course of Missa Pandaria, which is to say, not much at all. Um, if you if you talk to the one that's near Neltharion's lair, you you can ask them, you know, what's an agent of the Black Prince doing here? And they say, that information isn't mine to give at this time. You have your hands full as it is. Go about your business and you'll know more soon enough. And that's it. Um, Although the very fact that they're there implies that they now know about Ebonhorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's aware of Ebonhorn. He's aware of Ebonhorn's presence. He's aware well, and- of what's going on here. Here's what I find kind of fascinating. Um... When's the last time we saw Rathion? End of the mist, right? Nope. Uh, that's a Chromie scenario. Yeah. Mm, yes. That's where we saw Although him. Although we saw him in the alternate future. So, so we didn't actually see him at the time that we saw him, if that makes any sense. He was in the future, kind of. Yeah, but he was there. Which makes me wonder how he's involved in all of this. We know that Rathion devoured the heart of the Thunder King and he had a vision and after that he kind of disappeared but the next time we heard of him oh. doing anything he was working with a bronze dragon but even infinites. here's an interesting thing that remember when he talks about re- we must build rebuild the final titan yes I don't think he was talking about us what if he was talking about the dragon flights yeah because we had that whole thing with the you know heart and all the dragon flights essentially being there doing their thing the heart of the aspects yeah yeah that is huh okay then i'm just wondering if since we were talking about the whole infinite dragon flight thing um and how that might actually be way more complicated than we'd initially given it credit for i'm wondering if rathion is involved with that in particular you you just made me think about something go for it rathion's partner kairos when he puts together the uh I can't remember the name of that bloody gizmo. The something of time. Hourglass. The, you you remember the one he used in the yeah. uh, war crimes. Yeah. When he has you put it together, you have a vision of Soridormi, the uh, the consort to Nuzdormu, being murdered. And the implication is that it's somehow related to this, to the hourglass. And and Kairos is walking away from it. Yeah. Yeah. What if it's Nuzdormu that killed her or will mm. kill her? Because she'll find out that he is now no longer himself. Who's closer to her? Kairos, remember, wanted to be infinite himself. <gasps> Hold up. Do you think Nozdormu sent Kairos to kill her? I find myself wondering if Nozdormu used Kairos as a stalking horse. I mean, she's not dead. The weird thing is she's not dead right now. No. As far as we know, not in she's not dead. reality. Yeah. And Kairos is, is dead. <laughs> Kairos is dead and she's not. So was that just a vision? Was that something that's going to happen or something that was supposed to happen? Or were we taking a glimpse at the infinite? Or yeah, like, are we, yeah, we looking at a possibility that didn't come to pass? Here's, here's what I find kind of interesting here. Cause all of this took place in that hourglass that he had. It was all fueled by sands from the timeless isle. What do we know about the timeless isle? Sometimes it's there. Sometimes it's not. It slips in and out of the timeline. It slips in and out. It, it links to oh, it links it, to Draenor. It's like it's infinite. 
itself. Yeah, and it has a cave. There's a cave there that links to Draenor. Yeah. And Draenor is a different timeline. It's an it's alternate, a different alternate time reality. Alternate. What if the what if the Timeless Isle doesn't go anywhere? What if it's always there off the coast of the of the uh, of Pandaria? It's but an anchor it's point. Different Pandarias. Mm-hmm. It's an anchor point, and we're constantly shifting because we're the ones. Our decisions are changing which direction we go. But the Timeless Isle is anchored in all realities. I'm so. There's like something big here that we're just like on the cusp of. But I think part of the reason that Rathion was working with Kairos, it wasn't because he wanted Garrosh to escape. It wasn't because he wanted him to go to Dren or any of this other stuff. It's because Kairos wanted to be infinite. And that's what Rathion was investigating. Because all of these other points that we've seen him, we saw him in the whole Deaths of Chromie scenario. And that had something to do presumably with the infinite or with the bronze dragon flight every time we see him every time we see like little instances of him here or there or anywhere it's because something has changed something has shifted i don't know i don't know and the thing is is i know leadin said that we're going to see the beginning of the infinite flight this expansion i don't think we're going to see it this expansion but i feel like it's something that might tie in in the next one I mean, there's also entirely the possibility that we will see the start of it, but it's not going to be what we expect. And it won't be like, obvious. Yeah, like, it, it'll be it'll be one of those things where, you know, depending if you're wearing the proper head attire, you might be able to see. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be a very obvious thing. And I think that's... So I, th- I think the statement is correct. At least we're, we're going to see it born, but it's not going to be something that just smack dabs and says, yep, here it is. Here's an infinite dragon egg. Enjoy. Well, we know the infinite dragons. We know the infinite dragons can literally convert bronze dragons to being them. Yeah, Yeah. we saw that during Strath, right? Yeah, calling a Strath home. If you didn't get to the end in time, you saw the dragon there got turned into an infinite dragon. If you got there in time, then you saved them and you got the bronze dragon mount. So that's what was going on there. And they were literally being converted against their will. Yeah. Yeah, but who knows how? You know, was it against their will after a while? I mean, you get shown enough. That's the interesting thing. The the bronze dragonflight is used to seeing one true timeway. They're not used to seeing all possibilities, and that makes me wonder. Rathion's interest in all this might be the only way to stop the void is to fight the void with the void's own weapons. If he wants, you know, he's interested in seeing all possibilities. He's like he a dragon to, warlock. Yeah, he wants to see <laughs> all ways through this. Yeah, which makes a certain amount of sense because we still don't know a whole lot about the Void Void in general. Like, and everything we've gleaned so far and every bit of information we've gotten has been, I don't want to say suspect, but like, it's not entirely reliable. So what do we, what information do we really have to go off of? The closest person we have is a Windrunner and she ain't really too uh, up to date on what the Void actually is. And if she is, she ain't sharing. So it makes perfect sense that if you're Rathion and this is what you're investigating, you'd want to learn how to use their weapons against them. Because if you can understand, it's one of the, the oldest things in war, right? If you understand your enemy, you've already won. But we don't understand the enemy. And Rathion's the only one currently working towards it. Okay, this is all super fascinating. And I hate to do this, but we are kind of out of time. Um, we've barely scratched the surface on 8.2 stuff. Like we haven't we didn't even, even talked about Chandris. We didn't talk about Chandris. We didn't <laughs> talk about Nazdatar. We didn't talk about Mechagon. 
Um, I think we're going to just table all of that and we will talk about that the next time that we get together for the show in a couple of okay, weeks. You here. heard Anne. Next episode is Chandris and nothing but Chandris. She said it. You heard it. <laughs> it's not nothing but Chandris. <laughs> but we're going to talk about Nazjatar and the other elements that are coming up in 8.2. So um, we just kind of got a little sidetracked because Infinite Dragonflight just suddenly got a lot more interesting. Anyway. If you have a question for the show, you can email us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Be sure to put Lorewatch in the subject line so that we know that it's intended for the show. And you can email us about anything we talked about today, or you can email us about 8.2 stuff that we haven't talked about yet, because we're going to be talking about it next episode. I thought we were going to do one spoiler episode, but we're going to do two, and it's going to be great. It's fine. <laughs> we're good. Blizzard Watch. It's made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch and your continued support means that this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And for you guys, the listeners of Blizzard Watch, Audible's offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I know we referenced Before the Storm kind of briefly here but Before the Storm is one of those books that you can get the audio version of. It's read by the same guy who does all the voice acting for Anwen Rin, and it's a really good audiobook. Um, you can download that as your free book for that goes along with that 30-day trial, or you can download any of the thousands of other books that Audible offers, uh, Blizzard or non, really. Uh, you can do that by going to blizzardwatch.com audible. And every sign-up helps support the show and everything that we do. Okay, final thoughts, you guys. I know we kind of got off on tangents here, but I kind of want to go back to Sylvanas for a second. Do you guys think that Sylvanas is willingly working with the Void and Nizoth and everything else that's going on? Or do you think that the Void is basically trying to take Sylvanas out since we wouldn't do it for the Void? Rossi. I think that it's I think it's more lateral. I don't think it's either of those options because I think both those options are involved direct interaction in a way that the that is not happening. I definitely think it's it's each has their own things they're doing and each is trying to use the other to benefit themselves. Like uh, Nazoth definitely has plans and he's trying to use Sylvanas to bring his plans about and Sylvanas has plans and she's trying to use the chaos I think you definitely see that with the way the Horde is pursuing events in Nazjatar, where you've got the Horde on the ground are led by uh, Lorthamar and Thalysra, and they're focused on Ashara, and Sylvanas isn't pushing it. She's not making them focus on the Alliance. She's not saying, no, go fight them. But she's doing that because it keeps them occupied. It keeps them focused on you know the, the Void and the threat of, of Ashara and the Old Gods while she does what she wants to do. And I think Nizoth definitely is focused on his goals. And as long as she's busy with her games of power and intrigue, she's not a problem to it. So I think there's definitely some case of each of them thinks they're the puppet master and the other is the puppet. Okay. Joe, same question. I can definitely see that. Uh, though I do think that... I To go back to the original thing I was saying earlier in the episode, I think that Sylvanas is being toyed with. I don't think that she's necessarily being actively worked against. I think that she is like Rossi said, being kept busy, you know, all these things that have mysteriously popped into her lap, make her think that she's in control of this great big scheme 
that maybe she's not, or maybe it's not going to have the effect that she thinks it's going to have, but it's keeping her occupied. It's keeping her away. And we know that the void fears Sylvanas, or at least maybe not necessarily fears, but hates her because she represents an abomination to the natural order, which the void technically exploits. So without that ability to exploit her in the way that they could other things, keeping her out of the picture, basically keeping her removed from being troublesome makes the most amount of sense. I don't think she's actively working with the void. Uh, I think that whatever scheme she has, she thinks she's going to be the one that comes out on top and that she's going to be the one that's gaining all the power from it. And the only other thing I could possibly think of is that the void necessarily isn't concerned with her so much because it might have already given her their trump card for her, where that empty vessel of a knife could potentially be the attempted avoid of making a prison for her later. That's actually a, a good thought. Right now, I think what I'm wondering is, and I keep wavering back and forth between is the void taking advantage of Sylvanas or is Sylvanas just biding her time? And is she going to do the move that Rossi said at the beginning of the episode is, is the thing that she does best? Is this a delay tactic? And is she going to turn on that aspect of creation in the end? And I don't know the answer to that, but man, I'm interested in seeing where it leads. So yeah, uh, this has been Lore Watch. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you again in two weeks. Bye.